0: Welcome to the Pause to Remember podcast. My name is Amy Pelkey. I'm a practicing CRNA yoga teacher and mother to one son here on earth and one daughter who was stillborn. If you are a healthcare provider who has experienced pregnancy or infant loss, this podcast is for you. My goal is to offer resources, conversations, and mindfulness-based grief tools to help providers like you... Build the courage to acknowledge and process your emotions, the strength to carry your grief, and resilience so you can preserve your career, relationships, and overall well-being while honoring the memory of your baby. I want to assure you that you are not alone in your grief. I am thankful that you are here today. Let's begin. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. My special guest today is Bailey Dykema. She is a CRNA in Minnesota and works at a critical access hospital with a couple other CRNAs. She has experienced infertility and pregnancy loss, and she is here today to share a bit about her journey. Welcome, Bailey.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored that you asked me to be here. Um, This can be like a hard subject to talk about, but I think it's important that we, you know, share our experiences so people know that they're not alone in this. Um, I know finding support through my fertility journey has been huge for me. And so moving into that loss category that nobody wants to be a part of, it's so good to um, have other CRNAs and um, medical professionals that have kind of
0: walked the same journey or a similar journey. I agree. I agree. I think the more we talk about it, the more we can normalize those difficult conversations. And that just creates momentum to keep that conversation going. So I really appreciate your willingness to share. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to talk a little bit about life before you decided to start a family and then just kind of lead into that journey with us? Sure. Yeah. So
1: it goes back a ways. Um, so I got married when I was in anesthesia school. I graduated in the beginning of 2018. We moved and I kind of had this, you know, like timeline in my head, right? Because we're all type A and we're like, I'm going to do this, this and this and get married and get the job and start a family. And I thought, I think after anesthesia school, I want just like a year, probably a year just to like be married since we All of our dating, engagement, marriage was during school. And I thought, I just want to be married and not stressed out and studying, you know. And it was kind of funny that summer... So probably like six months after graduation, it just kind of clicked for me. And I was like, I'm ready to like have a family, which was weird for me because I never grew up that person like I have to be a mom, you know, like I always knew I wanted kids, I wanted a family, but it was never this burning desire. And one day, it just a switch flipped. And I was like, Okay, I'm ready. And I had some trips planned, some things coming up that I wanted to get through. So I'm like, I'm gonna stay on my birth control, which I had been on for 10 years. And that's a soapbox for me in and of itself. Um, But I was like, I'm going to stay on my birth control, get off of it this fall and start trying. Did that and had no idea that anything was wrong um, with me or with my husband. To make a really long story short, my periods ended up getting longer longer. And I was diagnosed with PCOS. Thankfully, I had a working relationship in the operating room with the OB that I was seeing at the time. And she did not waste my time. She referred me on to a reproductive endocrinologist right away, which I was really grateful for. And we found out that I have PCOS. My husband also has a varicocele, so we have some male factor infertility as well. You know, that was four years ago at this point, and we've learned a little bit more since then. I have some other hormone imbalance issues, probably teetering on like hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is essentially meaning I had too much stress in the form of probably exercise and anesthesia school and a stressful job and moving and all these things. I was undernourishing my body too. So that's another thing that I've been working on. But we did three IUIs. We have gone through two rounds of IVF, egg retrievals. Our first round, we ended up only having one embryo on day three that we did a fresh transfer with and that failed. We waited about a year at that point to go through with another round. We pay completely out of pocket for our treatments. So that's part of the factor and just mentally recovering from, we were supposed to be this super easy slam dunk case of IVF and it totally just bombed and blindsided us. So we took about a year that was, would have been 2021 that we did our first round And then March of 2022, we did our second round, and we ended up with seven embryos. We did a transfer that ended up in a chemical, another transfer that ended up failing. And then most recently, last fall, we did another transfer. We got our first positive and ended up having our miscarriage right around Thanksgiving.
0: That's um, a very detailed account of everything that you've gone through, which I think people will find extremely helpful, knowing that they're not the only ones going through this. You've touched upon a lot of things that I think people can identify with. And I want to touch upon the stress aspect of being a healthcare provider. I think, you know, our training is stressful. And then we think we're going to get out of our training and all of a sudden, things are going to get easier. But there's a different level of stress being early out of your training, starting a new job, getting to know the other providers, that sort of thing. And I think that we sometimes underestimate the toll that that takes on our bodies. Are there any things that you did in particular to help reduce your stress that you changed while you're... Going through your fertility treatments.
1: Yeah. So first, Amy, I really want to echo what you said. I think stress is something that we we're just kind of used to. I think we're just like, you don't, you don't know what anybody else is experiencing, right? Like you only know what your life is like. And this is our baseline level of functioning. We don't realize that we have these high levels of stress, you know. And like you said, it's not something we talk about, but I remember once upon a time, I don't know if it was at anesthesia school, they had us do this little like, survey thing you fill out has this life event happened or this or this, you know, in the past how many years and I was actually just thinking about that this morning, because I, I never really thought, Oh, I was super stressed out. But you know, I moved states to start in a seizure school, I started dating my husband, we got married, my program was three and a half years. (laughs) That's enough stress. Um, And then we moved, I started a new job in a new city. We moved again during COVID, which, um, you know, had the pandemic on top of everything else that I've been going through, fertility treatments, all this. Um, I think that stress piece is really important to recognize. And, you know, my last job move was from like an ACT practice to working independently as a CRNA in a small facility, like a very different shift, especially from where I trained from. So a lot of stress. and. You know, exercise was always something that helped me manage my stress during school, but I don't, I think from like a mental health perspective, it helped, but I don't think it, I realized that my body perceived that as more stress sometimes because I was always doing very high intensity exercise, like six days a week, probably not fueling my body with enough food. And so that is something that I've had to become very, very mindful of, particularly the last year or two, just kind of like taking a step back. I actually last year when we went through our IVF round, I kind of cut out exercise altogether because I was so worried at that point that I was overdoing it. And I've now just gotten back into it a little bit, but I focus more on walking and um, resistance training, lifting weights, more so than that hit aspect of all this high intensity cardio, because I don't think I didn't realize at least that that was putting more stress on my body. So um, that's one thing that I do. Something else that I picked up about a year ago, there is a program called fertility hope yoga, I believe if you know, if there's anybody listening that is familiar with um, the fertility world, there is a clinic in New York called CNY, and they offer um, IVF services at a little bit more reasonably priced. And I think this yoga program was associated with them. And now this lady has gone out on her own. But that um, is a really great yoga program, very like low impact, very gentle. And that has been something that's good for me. And I Admittedly, don't do it as often as I as I should, but that has been a really good stressor for me, uh, or stress relief. I also see a therapist. I've been really lucky. We have a set of fertility therapists that work with my clinic. My therapist in particular, she used to work in HR and then had her own fertility journey, and so this was like a second career for her. It's been really, really awesome to be able to talk to somebody that gets it. And I tell her all the time, I wish there was like hundreds of her because there's so many women that need her. But that's just been something else that's been helpful for me in processing
0: everything and um, helping to manage my stress. You've highlighted a lot of really good options for people to consider. I'm a big fan of therapy. I found that it was very helpful for me as well. For anybody who's listening, I will put links in the show notes to those resources for anybody who's interested in the fertility hope yoga. And if you want to share your therapist's name, I'll put that in the in the notes as well. Covid was a huge stressor for all of us, and Absolutely. I think, yeah, and I think that now, it's the staffing crisis. That's almost like a secondary insult and people don't realize what a stressor that is. I'm not sure in the critical access hospital, if you're experiencing this, but I think that that can put extra demands on us, whether we are aware of that or not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We definitely see I would say more of the downstream effects. You know, our, our anesthesia department is just three of us. So we, you know, haven't experienced staffing problems in our group per se. But we definitely see things at our hospital, like we're keeping sicker patients that maybe we shouldn't necessarily, because we're not able to send them out because there aren't beds available elsewhere, because there's not staff, you know, so that's definitely been something where it's pushed us what what we typically do, and and a little bit out of our comfort zone, what we would like to have here. That makes a
0: lot of sense. When you had your miscarriage want to talk a little bit about how that impacted you professionally, and how you navigated the time after your loss? Yeah, so it was, man, it was heavy.
1: I mean, it still is heavy. It, It was very interesting to navigate, because I've been really, really open about my fertility journey. And I don't even know if it's better to be open and have people know what you're going through or not you know but for me it was very unique in that everybody at work knew about my pregnancy even though it was very early and everybody knew I was going for an ultrasound they knew what day it was my ultrasound was on a wednesday and we found out that i was likely miscarrying and i was supposed to be at work the next day of course and What I did was I texted one of my friends who's a nurse in our department and I asked her just to, just to let everybody else know because I didn't want questions. Actually, I took the Thursday off, but then I had to go back Friday because I, at that point was going to talk to HR and see what my options were for taking some leave. But yeah, I texted my friend and I had her let the rest of the people in the department know, you know, I let my CRNA colleagues know because I just knew I couldn't handle the questions, So I took that Thursday off. I went in Friday morning and did a case. Of course, I think it was like a hysterectomy or something like that. And everybody at work was very respectful. You know, nobody asked questions. It just, you know, I just wanted to kind of pretend that everything was okay. And then after I finished my case, I went down and I talked to HR about my options for taking some time off, which I have to give credit to my therapist for, because I would have never thought to do that. Otherwise, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as professionals, that we have to show up, we can't call in sick, we can't take time for ourselves. And so I was grateful for her And she encouraged me to take some time off, which really was necessary to being in a practice like I'm in. I'm on call every fourth night, um, every fourth weekend. I didn't know, you know, we were just going to let this happen naturally. And I, you don't have a, a schedule for when you're going to start bleeding, how long things are going to last. You don't know, you know, after four years of fertility treatments, you finally get your first positive, and then it ends in miscarriage. You have no idea what that grieving process is going to look like. So. I went to HR and we decided that I would take a leave of absence and I was hoping to work through or take off the rest of the year. So this was, would have been December 1st that I had this conversation and I ended up taking three weeks, which was about the right amount. I think I, I didn't feel ready to go back um, when I went back, but I don't know that I ever would have, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you have to rip the band-aid off at some point. So it was kind of like figured the week between Christmas and New Year's might be a little bit slower for us. And so I thought maybe this is a good time to rip the bandaid off and go back. Yeah, it was nice to at least um, have some time to get through the holidays. Because of course, that was most of December, I hardly left the house. And then the first time I leave the house, I'm like around family for days on end, you know, family's great and supportive, and they know what what's gone on. But we also have like 20 nieces and nephews. So to be around so many kids and we found out a week after our loss that my little sister is pregnant and do a week before we would have been so it's just there were a lot of triggers and a lot of things I had to process during that time and continue to process
0: yes it is a continuum it's not something that has a defined end and you may find that through your entire lifetime, there are little things that creep up that re trigger that grief, and that's normal. And I don't think that that's something that we talk about a lot that you learn to carry the grief. It's not that it goes away, you just learn how to carry it, how to process it when you are triggered and that sort of thing. Yeah. Did you feel like you needed to go back after three weeks? Did you feel like HR was kind of nudging you or you just felt like that that would be enough time for you? Um, No, I didn't. I didn't feel
1: any pressure from my workplace to go back. Really what it boiled down to was I ran out of PTO after my first week and I was unpaid. Our plan has always been for my husband to stay home. Um, when we have kids and he was in a job that just wasn't a really good fit for him. And so when we found out we were pregnant, he put in his notice, he finished out, he was working for a school district. So he finished out through Christmas break and then was unemployed. So being the sole income earner, I felt that I had to go back to work. I did apply for short-term disability and that was a bit of a rigmarole, like coordinating between my workplace, my clinic, and the short-term disability company, we actually didn't even find out if I was approved or not until after I went back to work. So it was stressful from that aspect. And of course, around the holidays, like a super expensive time of year. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, we have a little emergency fund, but nobody really wants to tap into that, right? And so I think the financial stress and the being the primary income earner or only income earner in our family at that time, definitely added that extra pressure to go back to work when I wasn't necessarily feeling ready.
0: Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Sometimes the reality of life kind of helps channel the direction that we go. And, you know, it is what it is sometimes for sure. Right. Do you feel that Another layer of stress that you've had in this journey is the financial piece with the IUIs and the IVF since it is all out of pocket.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I hate, I hate to complain about paying for it because I know as CRNAs, we have a really great income. I feel very fortunate that we can continue to pursue treatment when many people, I mean, might one round might be their max, you know that they could ever do. Maybe they can't even afford one round. You know, so I hate to complain about it when I know that i I am so much better off than a lot of people, but it's absolutely an extra layer of stress. You have all these plans for your life and and financial goals and and it all just gets thrown off track when you start going through infertility. Like it's so impossible to plan for anything. And our journey, I think, has been much more stretched out than it would have been if we had any insurance coverage, because we've, you know, made the personal choice to not go into a ton of debt over this and just kind of be able to pay as we go. It's been stretched out. Our first round of IVF was two years ago. And then one year ago, we did our second round. And we're actually gearing up right now for our third round. So yeah, I have about $35,000 of bills to pay in this next week. So definitely an added stressor on top of it all.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Because I think that's another thing that we really need to talk about. And yes, we are blessed to you know have incomes that we can afford to pay for this. But at the same time, our incomes reflect the level of responsibility and training that we have, too. So, you know, there's a there's kind of a balance there between, you know, those two areas and and the stress that it does put on us. Absolutely. Um, and I
1: think something else that I've struggled with is going to work and taking care of these people that have all these chronic health issues because they're not caring for their health and all of their health care is covered they've smoked a pack a day for 40 years and they have lung cancer and they're morbidly obese, but we cover all of theirs. And I work so hard to take care of my body I'm very healthy otherwise, you know, and none of my care is covered. And so that's been definitely a, a, a sore spot for me and something that I hope to be able, once I'm on the other side of this and have a little bit more energy to put forward to advocate for more insurance coverage for fertility treatments, I think it's very important.
0: And I think it's really important to talk about that because I guarantee that somebody who is a provider who just heard you say that is shaking their head yes and identifying with that feeling and that frustration that and that becomes a trigger on top of yes. everything else. And that's something that I think is really unique to healthcare providers. Not only do we take care of you know, NICU babies and OB patients and trauma patients who are pregnant, and now they're losing their baby because of their trauma, you know, that sort of thing. But then the logistics of our healthcare system and how it's designed and set up, it's very frustrating. Has this journey impacted your relationship with your husband in any way?
1: You know, I think it definitely does. I would say if anything, it's made us stronger, which I know not everybody can say, you know, there's been challenges and things that we've had to push through. But I'm very fortunate that my husband is willing to lean in with me. You know, there's tough conversations, tough moments, but we've been very fortunate that we're comfortable opening up to each other. Um, For a long time, I think my husband really felt like he needed to be strong with our loss. I've seen him soften up a bit and admit that he's struggling too, which is really hard to see. On the other side of the coin, I'm really grateful that he you know, feels comfortable sharing that with me. So actually <laughs> yesterday was Valentine's day and I we don't do big things for Valentine's day. I didn't even give, get him a card, but I came home from work and I had a card from him. He wrote in there, you know, how grateful he is that we've been able to grow so much together through this. I'm very fortunate, but it's been hard. You know, it takes a lot of work and a lot of honesty.
0: Yes, it does. And- The honesty with yourself, the honesty with each other as partners, the honesty of just saying, this is a really horrible situation and I'm not okay. And you had touched upon that at the beginning. You know, we just have to put on this mask and show up. And the expectation is we are just going to show up and do our job. And it almost is like we're supposed to have these superhuman qualities and they're never supposed to go away. But at the end of the day, We are all humans too, and the emotions and the feelings are real, and if we don't acknowledge them and be honest about them, our cup just empties and it stays empty until we start processing it and talking about it.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think we are like masters at compartmentalizing Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because we have to, you know, like I'm obviously going through some really hard things. It's been a long freaking four years. Like I'm exhausted Mm -hmm. and so tired of this. But when it comes time to go to work, I go to work and sometimes it's almost a reprieve. You know, you just kind of put on your brave face and go do the thing that you enjoy doing. And definitely a fine balance, because I mean, I think we can kind of lean towards compartmentalizing too much sometimes and just putting on our brave face and saying, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then it's really humbling to admit, finally, that you're not. And I think I finally got there um, with our loss, you know, I, for four years, pushed through, pushed through, If it wasn't for my therapist who encouraged me to take this time off, I would have pushed through after our miscarriage as well. And I think it's, I think people need to know, particularly CRNAs and people in our advanced practice, that it's okay to take time for yourself. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And you have to, because if you don't, it's all going to come tumbling down sooner or later. It is. And it's not taking the easy way out either. You know, I think I I felt a lot of guilt about that, especially taking time around the holidays when I know it's super busy at work. And I'm like, what do they think of me? I mean, of course, it looks really convenient to take time off around the holidays. These are all thoughts that I had, Um, whether or not my colleagues thought that, I don't know. For anybody else that's that's walking through this and just feeling like they wish they could take some time, I just want to encourage them to do it. I'm so thankful that I did because... I don't want to know where I'd be right now if I didn't have that time to process and grieve without the stress of going to work and having to pull it together, just not have the time.
0: Yes. What we resist persists. So if you resist processing that grief, it's going to show up in other areas it might be physical illness. It might be a mental health issue. It might turn into that glass of wine turning into two or three glasses of wine every night. That sort of thing. It comes out in so many different ways. Yeah, it it's definitely really does. important to talk about it. As you are moving towards your next round of IVF, is there anything else in your life that you have changed or has become more of an awareness to you on this journey? Yeah, absolutely. So gosh, it probably would have been a little over
1: a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Well, let's rewind a little bit more. When I first got my PCOS diagnosis, my doctor, I remember very vividly um, the day I had my ultrasound and she told me, yep, it looks like you have PCOS. You know, it's not a big deal. It's not something you can fix. It's just something we manage. You're very healthy. There's nothing else you can do we'll just put you on birth control when you're not trying to get pregnant. And when you're trying to get pregnant, we'll put you on metformin. And I was just like, I mean, I remember just breaking down in tears. I was so upset. You know, I think we're fixers by nature, maybe. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Definitely.
0: Uh, and, <laughs> and we're like,
1: there's a problem. Let's form a plan and let's right. take care of it. <laughs> right. A, B, C, and D, all of our plans, right? right? <laughs> and, and I thought, no way you're telling me I'm healthy, but clearly I'm not something's wrong. And so that was the first time that my mind really started thinking about like the root cause of these types of issues and really going past the, the medication aid that physicians are trained to prescribe, you know, nothing against against them. But that's just the way that they're trained, right? They're medical doctors, they're trained to prescribe medicine. And I have really through this whole thing taken more of like a functional medicine approach, um, a holistic approach, really digging into what is causing my body to show up with these symptoms. Really about a year and a half ago was the first time that I started looking into more than nutrition, but more like the products that I'm using on my body, what I'm consuming as far as organic versus non-organic, that kind of stuff. I've always tried to use a little bit more natural like cleaning products in my home. Um, it's hilarious. You should see, should see me when I'm at the gym and like they have all the wipes since COVID to like wipe everything down. You know, I walk around with the wipe, like barely touching my fingers. I'm like, I don't want to touch this but I've learned so much about the chemicals that we're exposed to every day and Mm -hmm. um, in the products that we put on our body in the chemicals that are on the fruit and vegetables we buy particularly at work we are exposed to anesthetic gases every day we are touching those cleaning wipes every day you know I remember when I was a new nurse reading the little bottle and it says, don't touch these without gloves on. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know? And now I'm like, I feel like I should double glove Like, you know, I wonder how much of that is soaking into my skin. And, and honestly, this is kind of embarrassing, but I, I used to think like, especially with my face products, I was doing like a seven step regimen every day. And I'm like, it can't affect me that much. Like, it's just my face, you know, it's just this tiny little part of my body. And then I was putting on my estrogen patches for (laughs) some part of my IVF round and just like had this huge light bulb moment. I was like, holy cow, if this little tiny estrogen patch puts estrogen into my body that radically affects my estrogen levels, how much more is what I'm putting on my body every day in layers (laughs) affecting my hormones? A friend of mine had started talking about a company... Hugh and Grace, who they were founded by a husband and wife that had a fourteen year fertility journey of their own. They ended up having a son and a daughter, Hugh and Grace, through surrogacy. Um, each of their sisters volunteered to be a surrogate one time for them. They are both very educated people. And they thought, man, we've learned a lot about these endocrine disrupting chemicals that are in our products and you know, around our house, all these things, and how it affects our our hormones. And we need to do something about this. And so they created a company that provides our slogans kind of better than clean. So, you know, you see clean or natural on a lot of products, but a lot of times they're not, you know, that's just a marketing strategy that's not um, at all regulated, but even if they are natural stuff can still affect your hormones. And so we, human grace kind of took it a step further Into non endocrine disrupting chemicals. Okay. So they're making personal care products super simple to use, better than clean, not disrupting your hormones. We've branched into wellness products now. They have home care products coming. So I'd seen a friend posting about this. It's a business opportunity. They decided to use the network marketing business because they didn't want to just put their products on a shelf at like Target, because then you lose this education piece. And so that's kind of why they chose this direct to consumer model. A little over a year ago, I actually partnered with them. It's been a really great fit for me just to be able to use these products. You know, we talk about stress and like how overwhelmed we are and all these things there are to know, I can hardly pronounce the products or the ingredients on most products, right, let alone know if they're safe or not. So for me, it just takes out that guesswork piece, I just know that this brand, I can trust. So I've partnered with this brand. And it has been awesome for me just to be able to use these products. But also, it's just been a real light in my life through all that I'm going through, you know, some of my successful months in my business have been through the hardest months, like going through treatment and loss. And it's just been amazing to be surrounded by an awesome uplifting community too, that's really got a growth mindset. So that's been a huge blessing for me. And, and just really felt aligned with uh, my values. As far as like I said, I really like to dig to the root cause of things, support my body the way it was created to function.
0: Yes, I am a huge fan of getting to the root cause and i think if we did that not only with fertility but also with cardiovascular disease and neurodegenerative diseases and you know that sort of thing like we could go on and on and we could prevent a lot of the things that we see in the operating room and in the er's and that sort of thing and yeah talk about yeah. where our food is coming from absolutely that, it's yeah,
1: So cool to be able to be on the preventative side and helping people to prevent disease and like really take care of their health rather than just treating the outcome, you know, because and I don't I don't even want to put it on people and say people are making poor choices all the time. You know, like our system has really kind of set us up for failure, you know, and put it on the consumer to have to be able to be educated themselves. And so it's been really awesome to be able to help provide people with simple solutions. (laughs) That's, that's the key, because I mean, we're all like super overstimulated and overwhelmed right now, right? Yes. So simple solutions, just easy things they can do every day for their health and for their hormone health, which affects so much more than just fertility. Like you said, I mean, gut health, your brain health, your heart health,
0: it's all tied together. Yes, the appearance of your skin, which is Major organ in your body. Mm -hmm. Yes, it matters. Yeah, for sure. You touched upon community and how uplifting the community is. I think that that is something really important to highlight. So, whether it's a community where you are all in the health and wellness space, or it's for me, it was the yoga community and going and doing yoga teacher training shortly after our loss and having that uplifting community, find your tribe. find, surround yourself with people who are positive, who fill your cup, who nourish your soul, however you want to say it. And sometimes it takes a few tries to figure out what that fit is going to look like for you. But I'm really glad you touched upon the community aspect and how important that is.
1: Yeah, it's been so, so vital. You know, I think it took me about a year into our trying to conceive to really open up with people about what we were walking through. And it was so hard and it comes with its own challenges, you know, just like Mm -hmm. everybody knew about my miscarriage at work, you know, right? It comes with its own challenges, but it was such a weight off of my shoulders to feel like I could breathe again because I wasn't harboring this huge secret. And I'm not saying if you're walking through something like this, you have to go blast it all over social media, but at least open up to people in your life. It's been really cool how I have a very strong faith and how God has just like placed people in my life who get it. You know, when I moved to this new town, I have a group of three friends. One of them has had a miscarriage. Well, two of them have had miscarriages and one's had a stillbirth, you know, right in our little group of four people. I've had groups of friends like that in the past where everybody struggled with fertility or had a miscarriage, you know, and so I think it's a lot more common than than people think. You just have to be willing to talk about it and and find those people that you can lean on one other community that I absolutely have to mention for people who are Christians and um, your faith is really important to you. I am also a part of a group called Moms in the Making. It is a Christian fertility support group and we can link that as well. There are groups that meet all over the country and I am actually in a virtual group. So there's multiple virtual groups. And we each meet a couple times a week, go through some scripture, or a little bit of a study, but mostly we just kind of update each other on where we're going through or, you know, where we are, what we're going through, um, pray for each other, just support each other, you know, vent to each other about the stupid comments we get or (laughs) things like that. You know, it's, it's been so important to have those safe spaces for me and those people that I feel like I can go to and they get it and they're not going to judge me. Yes.
0: Do you feel like finding some of these communities outside of the workplace with people who are not healthcare providers has been helpful, or you've not really been intentional about that or even really thought about it? Um, I don't think it's something that I've necessarily thought about much until,
1: you know, I kind of came upon you, Amy, in this group. It's been, I guess it probably has been good to be able to like separate from work But at the same time, it's been nice to also have a CRNA community as well to plug into or advanced practice providers, people that get it. Because I know, as I told you, I didn't really realize until I was walking through my miscarriage and started listening to this podcast that, you know, we really do have like a unique set of triggers and a unique set of stressors and circumstances that sometimes you just need people that get that side of it too. So I think it's been nice for me to kind of have a variety, different people that you can go to for, for each circumstance.
0: Yes. And I think that everybody is going to grieve differently and everybody's going to need different forms of support and tune out the noise, turn inward and figure out what you need to refill your cup.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we live in a world of comparison and it's really easy to think oh this person is you know pushing through and they're doing okay and and i and i should be able to pull my stuff together you know like i think it's just very important to really be honest with yourself when you're walking through this about what you need and letting go of your pride. I think we're, we're probably also very, a little bit prideful people in our, in our profession. Um, We just like to, to have our stuff together, right? And just to be able to do all the things. And I think it's important to admit, you know, when you need a little break and when you just need some time or need a little bit of extra support, whatever that looks like for you, there's definitely no handbook for grieving and Um, walking through these kind of struggles and everybody processes it differently and that's okay.
0: Yes, yes. One, One other thought that I have as we're talking, do you think that the majority of healthcare providers have been so goal driven, you know, you know, you need to get through x, y, and z to apply to the next, you know, graduate program, medical school, what have you. And then, you know, from there, you need to do, you know, pass your boards. And it's like this roadmap in front of you. And you just kind of go through and you check the boxes. Almost everybody has great deal of success going through that journey. And then when you start dealing with something like infertility, or miscarriage, or having to terminate for medical reasons, or whatever, it is, and your plans for starting your family don't go the way the rest of your life has gone. It's one of the first times that somebody has experienced a real big hiccup in the plan. Yeah. And that's yeah, really absolutely. hard. It is.
1: I was just thinking about this yesterday. You're so right that, you know, like anesthesia school was hard, but you know, it's a challenge, right? You know, like you're going to study, you can do the things, you can get through it, right? I don't think I realized kind of how cushy my life was <laughs> until I was slapped in the face with infertility and loss. It's something that you just, um, you don't plan for. Nobody wants to be a part of this club, you know? And and up until this point, everything's really gone according to plan. You know, I got into nursing school, went through nursing school, got my ICU job, got into anesthesia school, you know, got the job. And it just, things always worked out the way I wanted them to until this point. And so um, it's taken a lot of soul searching. Um, I think it's really easy to place blame on yourself at that point and say, what's wrong with me? Like, what, what am I doing wrong? You know, and so it takes, takes a lot of work to be able to like, let go of that and just realize these are my circumstances. It's out of my control. I just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and I'll get through it. It's not going to be the way that I want it to go, but we just have to keep pushing forward.
0: Well, I want to say thank you so much for your honesty, for being vulnerable, for being real, and sharing so much of your journey and the experiences you and your husband have had. And there is no doubt in my mind that... You sharing your experiences will touch many and be a great support to other healthcare professionals going along on this similar path. Thank you so much, Bailey.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate
0: it. You're welcome. To you, the listener, chances are you are here because you are a grieving healthcare provider. I'm so sorry you know this pain. Please know you are not alone. There is a community here for you at pause to remember. In addition to links of the things we discussed on the podcast today, there are additional links to the virtual support group that meets on the second Monday of every month, the Facebook group, ebook, and a mindfulness-based grief course called A Mindful Prescription that will be available at the end of March. All of these resources are specifically for female licensed healthcare providers grieving after pregnancy and infant loss. I hope you will join us.